man, the world's changed. Even since you and I were kids, we see that the world's changed and it just kind of paralyzes us in fear. We don't know how to respond. We don't know what to do. And our greatest fear is our kids actually being exposed to that world and being yeah. lost in that world. And yet they're going to live in that world. Yeah. The only way to beat deception, the only way to beat the lies of this culture is with the truth of God. This is how you prepare to launch your kid into a world that, that really is set out against them. Man, I'm so excited to run into the new year with you, brother. Yeah, this is so, great, Chris. Thanks for doing this, man. Man, I'm hyped. So Dr. Jonathan Williams with us from Gospel Family Ministry, right. also professor at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Brother, tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about the ministry. Yeah, so I've been in ministry, I guess, for about 21 years now, and I'm married with three kids. And, you know, each year, it seems like the ministry looks a little different. For 10 years, I was pastoring a church in Houston, but We've been leading gospel family ministries now full-time for two years and then teaching classes at the seminary as one of their adjunct professors over there. And, you know, the heart of our ministry, and you and I talk a lot about it, is to come alongside churches and help strengthen family ministry they already got going on in the church and then come alongside families and hopefully equip them to disciple their kids, to lead out in family worship. So even some of the things we'll be talking about today, kind of my heartbeat, I know it's your heartbeat as well, but that's kind of the passion, the vision behind it. Yeah, yeah. you said three kids, right? Yeah. Tell us their names, ages. Yeah, so Gracie's my oldest, my sweetheart. She's 13. Come on. Going on 20. Yeah, you know, bro, that's real. They grow up quick. And then Silas, he's my middle child. He just turned 12, New Year's Eve. And then my youngest son, Elijah, is nine years old. So they're fun. The boys are into flag football. My daughter's into volleyball. And But the main thing, that you know, they all love Jesus. So that's what we're praying for. I love that. And I've got a, my daughter's 12 yeah. going on 20. So we got yeah. some similarities you know, there. <laughs> you know I, what that is. I know the heartbreak of that. <laughs> my son, Malachi, is 10. Calvin is four getting ready to be five mm. and then oliver's three that's man you might be ready for another one 2024 bro we, no we shut that <laughs> stuff off that's done we, we we took care of that in the last one but between us man seven kids come on controlled chaos yep man and we're just trying to run you know we talked about it earlier running this race yeah pointing them to the Lord, I, I'm thinking about the psalm, right? Children are like arrows yeah. in the hands of a skilled archer, right? There's a missional aspect of that, to, that we've got these arrows that we're going to shoot out mm. into the world. Really, you know, you were a pastor. I was a pastor. We both have ministries. But when I think about, like, legacy, mm. the reality is gospel family ministry will probably one day end. Yes. Better man will probably one day end. Yeah. But our children that we shoot out into the world, there is a generational impact there. The greatest ministry oh, yeah. that you and I probably will ever have, and the greatest ministry that any dad watching this show mm -hmm. will probably ever have. I mean, let's be honest, most people aren't going to be on a stage preaching to tens of thousands of people. Right. Right. And even those that do, that's going to end. Yes. And they still have the little ones at home looking up to them. That's right. And, and getting a lot more time with them than those 10,000 do, hearing them preach every now and then. And but yeah, it starts there in the home, right? That's got to be our first mission. And I love you're talking about the arrows, you know, as we talk about discipling our kids, shepherding them, and then sending them out, shooting them out. So I, I read years ago in one of Jim Elliott's journals. You know, Jim Elliott, missionary in the 50s, went to Ecuador, ended up being martyred for his faith with four other missionaries. But before he went, 
his parents were kind of nervous about him going. Hmm. And they sent him a letter, you know, expressing their concerns. Hey, you could stay here in the States. You're a great preacher, teacher. You'd have a great ministry. And as he wrote them back, very respectfully, just sharing his heart for the nations, his heart for this unreached tribe that God eventually used his family to his wife and some others to go reach that tribe. Wow. Uh, he wrote them back and he quoted the Psalm you just quoted, that Psalm 127. He says, remember what the psalmist says, blessed is a man whose quiver is full. Yeah. And he says, what is it full of but, but arrows? And so we view these children as arrows. And then he pleaded with his mom and dad. He said, pull back your bowstring and shoot me straight at the enemy's heart. Wow. You know, and that idea of him even understanding as a young man, mom, dad, what I need most from you is to shepherd me, but then send me out. Yeah. You know, and, and yes, it's a dark world. It's a tough world. And sometimes as parents, we want to just hold our kids close by. But yeah. I think biblically, it's like you're saying, we have to see them as those arrows that we want to sharpen and we want to shepherd and we want to refine because we know there's going to be that day where you send them out into this dark world. You know, are we ready for that? Are they ready for that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of questions that, that parents have. Parents that have been shepherding for 20 years and parents that you know, or two months into their journey. Yeah. I mean, what is our response? What should we be doing? In today's age of its extended adolescence, man, yeah. I'm meeting more and more grown boys mm. that, you know, living under their parents' care, living in the basement, living under someone else's oversight, when in reality, they should have launched years ago. Yeah. Never sent out, whether that's on the family, whether that's on the individual. I know people love to blame the church, mm. but the reality is someone has to take responsibility yeah. for that. It's got to be the parents. Yes. I read recently I don't recall the name of the book, but the man was talking about his conversion. Mm. And becoming a Christian was the loneliest I had ever been. Wow. He said, everybody wanted me to follow Christ, but nobody wanted to train me up afterwards. Yeah, they want that immediate decision. Hey, I'm following the Lord, but to run the race with them, to disciple them, that yeah. wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that resonates with every parent. Because I don't know a parent, or at least a good parent, yeah. that, that would say, well, I don't want my kids to follow after Jesus, or I don't want my kids to run after the good. Right. I think we all want our kids to, to run after King Jesus, to follow the good, to be influential in the world. But I think most people don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get there. So what I love about the next three, four, six weeks, man, however long this runs, mm -hmm. what I love about the next few weeks is we're going to start to lay out a path. Yeah to help equip parents, man, this is how you sharpen that arrow, as you mm. said. This is how you pull back the bow. Come on. This is how you prepare to launch your kid into a world that really is set out against them. Yes. Uh, it's not for them. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Is I, I think, like you said, these Christian parents were recognizing, man, the world's changed, even since you and I were kids. Yeah. You know, my kids are growing up in a very different culture than what I grew up in. Yeah. You know, they love hearing stories about the 80s. <laughs> And they're like, man, that was such a fun decade, it sounds like. I'm like, it was. You What's know? a Walkman? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a What's tape. a tape, cassette tape? And But I think a lot of times Christian parents, we see that the world's changed, and it just kind of paralyzes us in fear. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we don't know how to respond. We don't know what to do. And our greatest fear is our kids actually being exposed to that world and being yeah. lost in that world. And, and so our response a lot of times is just to hold them closer close yeah. the doors, lock the doors, you know, kind of cancel the culture around us and just say, we're going to live right here in the house. But that's not realistic. And that's not yeah. even the biblical response, right? The biblical response is what you're saying. Hey, the world is dark. The world is tough. It's changed. The culture is 
against them, and yet they're going to live in that world. So what yeah. do we do? And instead of paralyzing us in fear, it, it should spark this passion to disciple my kids, yeah. to prepare them, to shepherd them, knowing I got to send them out. Let's get those arrows as sharp as possible. Oh, that's, that, that's so good. I, I wrote an article recently, and it's the feedback has just been overwhelming. But I titled the article, My Son Was Recently Exposed to Pornography. Hmm. And uh, But then I flipped it. I told the story. Uh, I was speaking in Nashville at an event, and I got invited to this dinner with college leaders, hmm. campus leaders. So me and my 10-year-old son, they asked me to talk about manhood and where men are today. And then each of the collegiate leaders just went around the table talking about what they're experiencing on campuses as they're running hard after young men. Yeah, what they see. And inevitably, every conversation turned to pornography. Every conversation, wow. right? And I'm reminded the University of Toronto recently commissioned a study on the effects of pornography on the mind, but they couldn't get the study off the ground because they couldn't find 20 male college students that have never looked at porn for a baseline. They couldn't find it. They, they couldn't find 20. 20. 20. Out of the whole University of Toronto. Think about that, bro. So the study never got off the ground. That's disheartening. So inevitably, every conversation went to pornography, right? So my 10-year-old's there for the whole thing, man. And it was a powerful meeting. It was so good, man. These campus leaders are crushing it. But we're walking out to the truck, to the rental car, after the dinner and we're getting in and my 10 year old looks at me and says, dad, I got a question. I said, what is it, man? He said, what's pornography? Mm, he'd been hearing that word. He'd been hearing it all conversations, night. Yeah. And as much as this 10 year old kind of mind and heart could handle, I explained to him mm -hmm. and he looked at me. He said, man, that's devastating, dad. That's awful. He could see that. He could see that. And as I was driving off, man, this overwhelming feeling of gratitude came over me. Let me tell you why. Because when I was introduced to pornography when I was 10, it was a celebration. Mm. It was my next-door neighbor saying, hey, come and see this. Mm. When my son got introduced, it was through devastation. My first taste That's was good. sweet. His first taste was bitter. I hope he never loses that taste. Yeah, he started by seeing just how destructive it That's is. Right. That's right. And how disheartening it is. You can't find 20 college students who haven't been exposed to that. Yeah, And when I think about what you just said, when I think about Parents who are ultimately shielding their children from everything, right? Yeah. They go to their Christian church. They go to their Christian school. They eat Chick-fil-A every other day. <laughs> like, like it's just this giant bubble, right? Mm. Children do not get to be exposed to the brokenness, yeah. to the sadness, mm. to the darkness in the world. And and the light only shines brightest in the darkness. Yeah, there and, you go. And, and I'm not saying that we have to take our 10-year-olds and send them into the red light district. I'm sure, not saying that. Sure. But to your point, at some point, we have to start showing them that there is oh, a yeah. counteraction for good. There is a counteraction for the light, right? Mm -hmm. And and we've got to start training them. So so one of the things that, that we want to talk about today is is we live in a world full of lies. Yeah. Really, we live in a world that is is telling our children that basically they are God. Yeah. They can do whatever they want to do, be what they want to be. They can deconstruct, reconstruct. Oh, I mean, yeah. whatever they want to do, they've got the they've got the principles of being God, but because they don't have the power of actually being God, it's just devastating. Yeah. So, so what are you seeing in the world today when it comes to the truth of who God is and what God says versus what the world's telling us? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about this. You know, we're in this modern post-Christian culture, whatever you call it. 
And one thing that you and I have talked a lot about is that three generation span of going from the committed generation mm -hmm. to the compromised generation to the confused generation. Yeah. And, and that's one of the main things we see is in a culture where there is no truth, in a culture where there's no absolute truth, where your truth can be different than mine, and we're just making it up as we go, like you said, treating ourselves like little gods, it's just mass confusion. And if you talk to young people today, asking them even simple questions about their identity, about their family, about their goals for life, about their friends, there's so much confusion. Wow. And you know, I'm with uh, Christian youth a lot of times, and I'll sit down with a group of 20 youth, 30 youth, and I'll ask them these questions uh, about identity, about who they are, about gender, about family, about friendships, and it's just there's confusion. There's no certainty, uh, and if there is certainty, when you do find it's someone who's quoting scripture. You know, wow. it's someone who has been, been passed the truth from the word of God, and, and it becomes this anchor for them mm. that, that they're desperate for. And, and it does start with the parents. And, you know, I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about this morning, and I was thinking about 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to young Timothy. And in the first chapter, he, he celebrates that Timothy was discipled in the home as a kid. Yeah. His mom, his grandmother, they poured into him. They taught him the word of God. And, and so he's got this foundation through family discipleship. His mom and grandmother were faithful. And so now he, he's older. He's in ministry. He's in the world. He's exposed to lies and to evil people. And by chapter three, Paul starts talking about some of that culture. He talks about the, the, the deceivers and the evil imposters and all these things that are surrounding Timothy. And yet he comes back to that anchor that is, mom and grandmother established when he was a kid. And he says, but listen, that's what's going on in the world. But as for you, you just continue in what you were taught. You know who taught it to you. You've been well acquainted with the scriptures from childhood. Yeah. And that's the thing is if we can give them that truth, if parents and grandparents can establish an anchor of scripture in their hearts, then when they are thrown into the world, when they are exposed to all the mess we're talking about, we can come back and say, hey, just continue in what you've learned. Yeah. Keep running that race. We've given you an anchor. We've given you truth. Hold fast to it. You know, Daniel being exposed to so much idolatry in the Old Testament and this Babylonian culture, and yet having this truth in his heart that allows him to stand against that. And that's the prayer for the next generation is that they would stand firm in their faith, but there has to be a foundation of faith for them to do that, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And even, even what you're saying is dangerous today. Yeah. I mean, we're on a show right now. I mean, could be viewed by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, right? And we're saying that there is an absolute truth. Yes. Saying that today, oh yeah. Bro, get you on a list. Oh. Right? Yes. I mean, there is an absolute truth. There is a moral guide. Mm -hmm. There is a compass and it's the word of God. Come on. It stands the test of time. It does not contradict itself. Yeah. It is useful in every situation. Oh, yeah. And in that same writing from Paul to Timothy, I love Paul instructs Timothy. He says, store the word mm. deep down in a vault. Mm. You know, the Greek there talks about a, a vault, a bank, right? So that when, Timothy, you encounter something in the world mm -hmm. and you have to pull and make a deposit, it doesn't come up insufficient funds. That's good. Like there's That's something there. Right? Because what's going to happen is we're going to run into things in this world oh, yeah. that are contradictory to everything we've been taught, everything we believe, everything we see. And something I'm always telling my children, and I know this isn't super popular, but it is what it is. I tell my kids all the time, when you're in God's word mm. and you read something that you don't like or that you disagree with, 
it's not because there's something wrong with God's word. That's right. It's because there's something wrong inside That's here. That's good. That's good. Yeah, right. you, we don't change God's word to fit our desires, preferences, our sinful bents. We, yeah. we submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. That's right. We repent. And, you know, you're talking about kids going out there with this vault of truth. And if they don't have the truth and what the world calls truth, they'll embrace. And if they don't have biblical wisdom, then what the world calls wise, they'll embrace. You know, and and I think about the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, and it's a dad discipling his son for the most part. You know, hey, I want to pass this on to my next generation. And so imagine someone today, a Christian parent today, teaching through the book of Proverbs to their kids. The book of Proverbs deals with sexual immorality, dating, relationships, marriage, friendships, anger, pride, drinking, selfishness. We need wisdom in these areas. Young people need wisdom. And in the void of that spiritual leadership, someone else, something else will fill that void. And the world is never shy to answer their questions. You know, (laughs) no young person goes to the world and says, I'm confused. I got this question. The world says, I don't know. Let me think about it. No, the world is quick to give an answer. That's so good. To define you, to label you, to say, well, this means this about you. And if they have nothing else been deposited to yeah. guard against that, then I fear they'll just embrace and accept whatever the world says. Bro, and I'm a living example of that. I did not have that instruction and wisdom growing up. Hmm. So by the time I was 18, what the world thought about success, what the world thought about sex, what the world thought about money, what the hmm. world thought about, you know, true fame and popularity, I had adopted it full scale. Mm. And, you know, it wasn't until seven, eight years later that I discovered Jesus, that I discovered the truth of the Bible. But what's crazy, and people may be watching this and thinking, well, Chris, you turned out okay. Well, what they don't know is I've been on a repentance tour for the last 20 (laughs) years, like because of all the things like I set on fire, all the Mm. things I destroyed, all the hearts I broke, all the people I used, right? I still scarred from that yeah. right and i don't want my kids to have those scars yes to lose like, those years oh to waste you know the teenage years i think as ted tripp that calls it this age of opportunity mm. there's so much potential so many exciting things we, we read through church history and we see revival after revival that god orchestrated using young people and, and we look at our kids today and they could be the very ones that god uses to change culture to, yeah. to bring about revival, but we don't want to lose those years. We don't want to wait till they're 20, 25, because right now is the age of opportunity. That's right. And I think the disheartening thing, the reality is, you know, you talk about if we don't have that truth, we just accept what the culture says. Even in the church right now, even in Christian households, we see the culture influencing our, our mindset. Uh, Barna did a survey several years ago, and they asked Christian parents, what's your top number one goal for your kids? And almost 40%, the number one answer was a good education. Only 20% of Christian parents who said, my number one goal for my kids is to see them following Christ. And and then you contrast that with 3 John 4, where John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Come on. And he's talking about spiritual children, but obviously we would apply that to our kids. And so if the goals of the parents are inconsistent with Scripture, if they contradict scripture, then of course we're not going to see a lot of shepherding and sending. Bro. But when the parents kind of repent of that and we all have to kind of check our own hearts over, I got to check my heart on that. But when we do, we come and look at our kids and say, the greatest joy I could ever have is not them going to Harvard or MIT. It's not them getting 4.0 or being the best on the varsity football team. The greatest joy I could ever have is to hear them love Jesus to see them follow Jesus. Bro, that's walk in truth, right? That's worth the price of admission. Come on. Every 
Christian parent, every secular parent, every soon-to-be parent needs to hear that. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of the statistics. Less than, it's 0.04% of high school athletes will play a professional sport. That's why I didn't make it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was close. I was probably the next wave. It wasn't because of my eight-inch vertical. <laughs> but so, so less than 0.04, less than 0.01% get into an Ivy League school. Mm. Less than 1% become millionaires. Mm. But think about this, 100% of young people will stand before a holy God one day. So like that, that should direct priorities, man. And when I read, you know, like the fruit of the Spirit, when I'm in Ephesians mm. reading the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not surprised by what's on the list. I'm surprised by what doesn't make the list. Interesting. Success, popularity, intelligence. That's not part That's of not the, the fruit, fruit of the Spirit, for. bro. Yet as parents, how often is that oh, the yes. thing I'm running yeah. after? Well, I love what you said. You know, We're talking about preparing them for when they are standing in front of the culture. I love what you said, preparing them for when they're standing in front of the King of Kings. That's it. Like knowing that one day my Gracie, my Silas, my Elijah will be standing in front of King Jesus. That's it. How does that not completely trump any other goal or desire or prayer we have for our kid? Right. And that's the thing. Our desires, our joys are tied to our prayers. And so, like you said, if our goal is success, popularity, grades, whatever, that, that's probably what we're praying for, hoping for, thinking about, focused on, that, that's dictating our conversations around the dinner table. Bro. But when we make that third John 4 shift, and all of a sudden, truly in our heart of hearts, our greatest joy is to see them following Jesus, that'll become our greatest prayer. That's it. And, you know, when I think about praying for our kids, I've been challenged the last couple of years by a guy in Colossians. I think you and I talked about it one day over Torchy's Tacos. But in, in Colossians... Hey, the queso the there. Queso's so let's good. just acknowledge the queso there <laughs> I, is fire. I've been with the pastor yesterday. He goes, let's go to Torchy's and get the queso. It's, it's I, I think the secret's out, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's this guy in, in Colossians 4 that Paul mentions, Epaphras, and he's the one who first shared the gospel with, with the people there, the Colossians. And, and in Colossians 4, Paul tells them, hey, by the way, he says hello, and he's been praying for you. But the phrase he uses there is he's been fighting for you in prayer or it could be striving or wrestling for you. And I was convicted by that. I was thinking about my prayers for my kids. And, and I would say I do believe that God has got me to a place where my greatest joy is to see them following Jesus. But I started examining my prayer life. Would I wow. say I'm fighting for them in prayer? I think wow. there are days I am. There's also days that kind of slip by and I say just a quick prayer without giving it a lot of thought. You know, but that was convicting to me to say, if that's your greatest joy, that needs to be your greatest prayer and be that Epaphras who is fighting for them in prayer, that prayer warrior for your kids. Bro, that's so good. I, I've recently been convicted. I did a prayer audit and I, I was reflecting as the year ended and coming into the new year and the number one prayer I had for my children, I was always thanking Lord for providing for us and meeting our needs. Yeah. And I was always asking the Lord to keep us safe. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, no, Chris. So, so I stopped. I've stopped praying for the safety of my children. Mm. And I've started praying for, Lord, I, I want two things. And, and I've actually mm. verbalized this in my prayer. God, I don't want you to keep us safe. Mm. I want you to keep us faithful. Oh, wow. Lord, oh. keep us faithful in running hard after you. That, that, that's that. my prayer. I want to stay faithful and Let's I want to faithful. keep running hard after you. And I want that for my children. So that's, bro, that's and so that's powerful. It, it's convicting because at some point, our children are going to be influenced by the world. 
Hmm. At some point, they're going to taste the world. At some point, they're going to have the world on them. Yeah. At some point, they're going to be out of our care. At least they should be. Yeah. And they're going to be neck deep in the world, oh, yeah. having to stand on their own, having to reach down into that bank mm-hmm. and make good deposits. Yeah. And I don't want it to come up insufficient funds. Oof. So Man, that'll preach. So yeah, I love that. So so what? Top of mind. Yeah. Prayer is obviously one of those things, yeah. right? So so when I think about guarding my children's heart and teaching them truth, the first thing, absolutely, man, yeah. praying to the Lord for them, on behalf of them, et cetera, right? What are two or three other ways we can start to sure up the foundation for our children mm. as we shoot them into the world? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, we think about discipleship, family discipleship, family worship, but it's just the biblical act of parents opening up the Word of God with their children in their homes and just teaching the Word of God. And I think a lot of times that's intimidating for us. A lot of even Christians who grew up in the church didn't grow up doing that with their parents in their homes. So it's foreign. It might be new to us, but it's not new. I mean, throughout church history, family discipleship, family worship was at the forefront of what pastors and churches and Christians were talking about, trying to equip them. Now, we've, you know, in the waxing and waning, we've been in a season of drought when it comes to family worship. In fact, there was a pastor in 1909 in America who wrote, family worship is an extinct custom. That was 1909. So, you know, 120-something years later, almost, we're still in that. But I think there's a revival of that going on. And it's really just coming back to those scriptures like Deuteronomy 6, where parents are first commanded to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, to hide the Word of God in their own heart. And then once we're doing that, we're we're loving God, we got the Word of God in our heart, we are commanded in Deuteronomy 6 to teach the Word of God diligently to our children. Yeah. And there's a lot of authors who've written about that phrase, teach diligently, but the idea is of chiseling something into stone. That's right. And the chapter right before that, Deuteronomy 5, God is talking about the Ten Commandments. How did he give us the Ten Commandments? He chiseled his word into stone. And the very next chapter, he says, look at your kid's heart like that and chisel the word of God into their heart, like wet cement, right? We get a chance to impress something on their hearts. It could be there forever. It could be that anchor when they are exposed to culture and world and sin and lies to have that truth. So, yeah, let's pray for our kids. Let's fight for them in prayer we have to be intentional to open up the Word of God and teach them the Scriptures in the home. Yeah, and I think that word is key, intentional. Yeah. This is not going to happen organically. No. Right? Now, there will be spontaneous moments yeah. where you've got to be ready. You've got to re- recognize those moments, right? Mm-hmm. I had one of those moments not too long ago. I think I've shared the story before, but my son's elementary basketball team won the city championship. Oh, that's fun. And but my son rides the bench the whole time. He's not super athletic. I tell people he gets it from his mom. But <laughs> so he not not true at all. But his best friend hit a game winning shot to win the championship. Come on. And I watched as my son jumped off the bench, ran across the floor and tackled his best friend in just utter joy. Celebrating. And as we got into the truck, you know, he had his little trophy, he's got his jersey on. He sits down next to me and I just said, I said, Malachi, man, I'm so proud of you. Mm. And he said, Dad, why? He said, I didn't even get to play. I said, the way you celebrated your teammates. Yeah. I said, it was Philippians 2-3 in live action. Oh, I love that. Consider others as more important than yourself. Yeah. Right? Now, there were two things, two elements of that. First, I recognized it. Yeah. Second, because I had Philippians 2-3 deep down in my heart, 
when I went to pull it out, it was there. Yeah, you had something to share with them. That's it. So, so I'm thinking, man, as parents, specifically as fathers, mm. right? If we're going to chisel something, yeah, right? It's like getting a tattoo. Anytime, and I've got tattoos, right? <laughs> Every time I go get a tattoo, the tattoo artist asks me, are you sure this is what you want? Mm. Are you sure this is how you spell it? Because once it's on there, it's permanent, That's right? Good. So I better know how to spell it yeah. before I chisel it yeah, in. Yeah, do a quick spell check. That's it. That's good. So, so as dad, man, I want to do that quick spell check. I want to make sure I know the word. It's chiseled mm. on my heart so then I can chisel it on the heart of my child. Uh, yeah, we it's can't huge. give them something we don't have. That's it. Yeah, so we got to be opening up the word. And, and you talk about being intentional. And I think, yes, we have those just moments that come up, right? And that's even Deuteronomy 6, as you go. You know, after the basketball game, your 10-year-old son's asking something about pornography. And you're ready to share. You've been in the word. You've been in prayer. So you have something. And then we have the other moments in the house where we sit down at the table maybe, open up the word for family devotion or prayer time at bedtime. And I think a lot of you know, Timothy Paul Jones did a survey of all these parents asking them, what keeps you from discipling your kids? What keeps you from opening up the word of God? And, and the top two answers, 90% of the parents, one of these were their answers. They either said, I've never been trained. I've yep. never been taught how to do it, which, you know, I, I see a lot of churches, a lot of pastors now leading out and equipping parents. But just three years ago, Barna did a survey of senior pastors and they asked them three questions. First, do you believe parents should disciple their kids? 99% said yes, of course. I don't know who was a 1% that said no. <laughs> but then they asked the senior... He's not a pastor yeah, anymore. He's not a pastor anymore. He's like, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's selling insurance right now. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. Deuteronomy 6 at least, right? But, you know, the majority, pretty much all of them said, yeah, parents should disciple their kids. But then they asked them, do you have a plan to equip parents to disciple their kids? Only 20% said yes. And then the third question they asked was, do you ever give them resources to disciple their kids? And only 10% said yes. Yep. So the, the parents that Timothy Paul Jones surveyed, a big majority of them says, no one's ever trained me, equipped me. You and I, we both have a passion in our ministries to get to do that, to help churches equip parents to disciple. But the second answer that they gave Timothy Paul Jones was, we don't have time. Hmm. And I get that. I feel that. I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. And I think sometimes when you try to challenge a parent to disciple their kids, to teach them the Word of God, it sounds like just a new thing to put on my schedule. Yeah. But the reality is we have the time. We just lack the intentionality. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this with one of the classes I teach at the seminary. If you get your kids to church every time the doors are open, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm talking VBS, youth camp, children's camp. They, they never miss. They never get sick. They never go out of town. Best case scenario, we get maybe 120 hours a year to disciple that kid at the church house. Now, that same kid, statistics tell us, even elementary age, is spending 3,000 hours a year on social media, YouTube, and video games. That's right. So they're getting 120 hours of discipleship at the church house, 3,000 hours exposed to the world. Which, discipled by the world. Discipled by the world. Which is what that is. I mean, we call them influencers, right? Yeah. They're, and so they're, they're being influenced. That's right. And so how do we you know, combat that? I mean, who's going to shape their heart? Who's going to win their heart? Who's going to shape their worldview? 120 hours over here or 3,000 hours. But here's the reality. Parents every year have 3,000 hours a year at home with their kids. Not asleep, not at work, not at school, just driving home from school, dinner table, bedtime, weekends, 3,000 hours. So we have the time, 
It's just, can we add some intentionality to some of those hours, open up the word and shepherd these kids before we send them out? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. If our listeners are hearing two things today, they're hearing, we need to be striving, Mm. wrestling, almost praying, Mm. wrestling for prayer for our children. Yeah. Love that. That's, and and that's 100% desire, mm. right? It's like my old high school basketball coach told me. Rebounding is 30% boxing out and 70% desire. Yeah, who wants it? Who wants it? Who's going to go get it? Right, so the simple fact, you know, I love what Piper said. Piper said the greatest advantage of Instagram and Twitter is that when we stand before God, it remo- it removes the excuse that we didn't have enough time. Oh, man. That's convicting. Because we spend more time on Instagram and Twitter oh, yeah. and YouTube than we're all willing to admit. Oh, the 3,000 hours I said for the kids, for adults, it's about the same. Yeah. Yeah. So so the fact that you're not wrestling in prayer for your children, it is 100% a lack of desire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to hear, I don't know how, or I don't want to hear no one train me. What I want you to hear, Dad, is, man, start today. Tonight, when you wake up, when you're on your way to work, take 30 seconds, take three minutes, take yes. five minutes, and go before God. Kind of like Job. Yeah. Job woke up, it said, early every morning and mm. offered a sacrifice to the Lord because he had, he didn't know what his kids did the night before. Yeah. He didn't know if it was good. He didn't know if it was bad, yeah. but he said, I'm going to go before the Lord and petition on their <laughs> yeah. behalf. I'm, I'm sure some of them were sinning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know which ones, Lord, <laughs> but you know. Right. <laughs> but yeah, interceding for them. That's it, man. I, I was challenged by this for years now. I don't want there to be anyone out there who prays for my kids more than I do. Come on. You know, and I know people pray for them. They got grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles and Sunday school teachers and pastors. So they got a lot of people praying for them. Praise God. We need all the prayer warriors we can get. Come on. But that kind of personal conviction is, shouldn't I be praying for them more than anybody? Yeah, dads hear that. It's not your pastor. It's not your children's pastor. It's not your wife. You should be logging the the hours and praying for your children. And then the second thing we want people to hear today is chisel the word of God on their heart. Yeah. Intentionally. Yes. Spontaneously. Yes. Man, put the word of God out in front of them. What are just a couple of practical ways? Yeah. Because I know we got to wrap up the show, but what are a couple of practical ways? I know one of the ways I do it, I've mm. shared this with you before. I try a couple of days a week before I leave the house in the morning. I write a scripture verse on my oh, children's that's, that's so good. bathroom mirror so that when they get up in the morning to wash their face and to brush your teeth, the first thing they see is just a verse. Right and away. I ask them about it when I get home. That's so right? good. Super practical, very intentional. Um, and it's challenging for me because I've got to have something to write up there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to lie. Some mornings I wake up and open up the Bible app and see the verse of the day. I mean, it is what it is, right? It's, we get busy. That's why you're texting me every morning. Give me a verse. Hurry. Yeah, that's right. I'm at the mirror. I need <laughs> a verse. Right. I need something. I'm empty. I'm empty. <laughs> I'm empty. But so, th- so that's a practical yeah. way. What's one or two practical ways you keep the word in front of your children? Well, I just piggyback that right there. What you're saying about you had a scripture and you found a way to share that with your kids. You asked them about it. If men can wake up in the morning and have a little devotional time with the Lord, just sitting at his feet, delighting in his presence, you open up the word, and let's say you read Psalm 121, and you're saying, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And you read that one morning, and throughout the day you're thinking about that, and you're thinking about all the times in your life that you didn't look to the Lord for help, all the times in your life that you did and he helped you. You're thinking about, man, if he can make heaven and earth, of course he can provide for my needs, and then that night, one thing we do at our house is when we eat at the house, we eat at the table, no screens, 
And when we eat at the table, we try to open up the Word of God. We keep the Bible close by the kitchen table. And the easiest thing to do is just share what your devotion was that morning. Come on. So I can look at my kids and say, hey, this morning I, I read Psalm 121. I've been thinking about it throughout the day. Let's read that together. And then let's talk about it. And some of the same questions I was asking myself, I'll now ask them. And, and you never know. There, there, there's... You know, I don't think we need to have a lot of specific expectations for what that time looks like. I think it looks different for every family. I know our family devotion time looked a lot different when my kids were 1, 3, and 5 yeah. than they do now when they're yeah. 9, 11, 13, 9, 12, 13. But the main thing is just getting that time. And you never know how God's going to use it. We had a family devotion one night years ago. And I'll be honest, I wasn't really mentally engaged. I was kind of going through the motions. I read some scripture, asked a few questions. But my kids kept talking, my oldest two. They kept asking questions. My wife, you know, she's sharing such great biblical wisdom. And at some point I, I realized, oh, something's happening. God's moving right now. And long story short, we stood there, sat there for the next half hour. And my two oldest kids gave their lives to Christ that night. Wow. You know, Gracie and Silas. And, and so there's some family devotions that last five minutes. But every now and then you get that time where the spirit just moves in such a powerful way. And, but it's just that consistency. And creating the space. Yes. Creating the opportunity. I love as simple as when you sit down for a meal, yeah. just having the Bible close. And I think dads need to hear that. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. Right. You don't have to be seminary trained. You just have to be one step ahead of your kids. <laughs> yeah, just you just got to have something to, to place in front of them. Um, you know, I challenged a group of men just about speaking scripture over their wives and their children one time. Just speak a blessing, right? Yeah. A blessing of scripture over your children. And, and I had a guy reach out, and he said, you know, Chris, I tried what you said. Mm. He said, we were on a road trip, and I got convicted. So halfway through the road trip, I said, hey, everybody put down your iPads, put down your Nintendo Switches. He mm. said, I reached over and turned off the radio. And then just for two or three minutes, I just spoke a blessing, just spoke scripture mm. over my family. He said, after about three minutes, my, my wife leaned over and turned the radio back on and the iPads <laughs> went up and we just kept driving. And he, I was thinking to myself, why in the world did I do that? He said, but two weeks later, I went to pick my oldest son up from basketball practice. Mm. My son got into the truck, reached over and turned off the radio and said, Dad, could you speak some more of those words over me? Come on. That's it, bro. For two weeks, he'd been waiting for more of that, hungry for that. We're winning. And his dad thought it fell on deaf ears. That's right. But it didn't. It resonated with that kid's heart. Man, if we can just, if we could get a generation of men oh, yeah. wrestling in prayer for their children oh, yeah. and then using opportunities throughout the day to speak the word over them, yes. the only way to beat deception, the only way to beat the lies of this culture is with the truth of God. Amen. And that's what our children need more than a good education more than athletic prowess, oh, yeah. more than success, popularity, and intelligence, our kids need the Word of God. They need the Word. They need that anchor. Because one day we will send them. Yep. And you know who I think about real quick when we think about sending is Zebedee in the Bible, James and John's dad. We don't read a lot about him, but when Jesus is walking by the sea and he calls James and John to follow him, I'll make you fishers of men, it says they left their father, they left their nets, they left their boat, and they followed him. In that culture... If you have two sons like James and John, that's your retirement plan. Come you know, on. so Zebedee, he's got this fishing business. He's got two boys. One day they're going to be running the whole thing. And in the middle of all of his plans, Jesus interrupts it and says, no, I want your boys to follow me. And we don't hear a lot about Zebedee, but we also don't hear that he tackled them and said, no, he didn't argue with Jesus, fight with Jesus. 
He let them go. That's right. And as dads, we're all going to be a Zebedee at one point. We're going to have that moment, hopefully, where we are sending our kids out into the world, but they're this close to Jesus. We're sending them out, abiding in Christ as they go into the world. And if we want to have that kind of sending, then we have to have the kind of shepherding that you're talking about. Let's go. Arrows in the hands of a skilled archer. That's good. Man, send them into the world. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Talk to you soon, brother. God bless.